AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 62 of AFF On Air, the podcast that teaches you how to maximise your frequent flyer points. It's Saturday the 12th of June 2021. In this episode, travel agent Alan Lamb from NetWave Travel will join me again to take a detailed look at the current situation for people trying to fly to or from Australia during this stage of the pandemic. And of course, Australia's borders are still closed, so that's been a problem for a lot of people. Alan's a regular guest on this podcast, and you may recall that in episode 54, back on the 20th of February this year, he joined me for a detailed discussion on how to fly to Australia during COVID-19 without getting bumped off your flight, something that's been a problem for a lot of Australians lately. In this episode, as well as quite a detailed update on that, we're going to discuss the DFAT repatriation flights, flying back to Australia on points, and some common travel agent scams to be aware of. The interview will be in two parts. This episode includes part one of the interview, which will look specifically at inbound travel into Australia. And in the next episode, in two weeks' time, you'll hear part two of the interview, which specifically covers outbound international travel from Australia during COVID-19. That interview in two weeks' time will include some useful tips for anyone who needs to leave Australia at the moment, including how to get an outbound travel exemption from the Australian government and some of the COVID-19 testing requirements you need to be aware of when travelling overseas. Now, if you just want to jump to a particular section of that discussion, you can find a list of the topics and the timings for each of the topics that we discussed um, in the episode notes for this podcast. But first, let's begin with a roundup of the latest airline and frequent flyer news, as always, from the past fortnight. And firstly, the Australian government has extended its overseas travel ban for yet another three months, until now at least the 17th of September 2021. And it's the fifth three-month extension to the Human Biosecurity Emergency Period restrictions under the Biosecurity Act in a row, which places restrictions on international travel and cruises. But there has been some progress in restarting international travel, at least for some international students coming to New South Wales. The New South Wales government has announced a pilot program which could start in July and run in addition to the existing hotel quarantine program for returning Australians. And under this program, an initial 250 international students per fortnight will be allowed to arrive into Sydney and quarantine there in dedicated student accommodation for a fortnight. Last week, The Guardian also reported that the federal government is considering another pilot program which could allow vaccinated Australians to travel overseas and then face less strict quarantine requirements when they return if they're coming from a country deemed to be a low risk for COVID-19. And this could start within six to eight weeks, according to The Guardian, although this report has not been verified by the government and there's been no announcement yet. So these kinds of reports do need to be taken with quite a large pinch of salt. If Australia did remove its outbound travel ban, though, for people who have been vaccinated, it would be just the third country in the world which bans citizens who are unvaccinated against COVID-19 from leaving, but makes exemptions for people who are vaccinated, with Saudi Arabia and Kuwait being the other two countries with those rules. Although vaccines in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait are now widely available, and people who are ineligible for a vaccine in those countries, such as children, are exempt from the travel ban. 
As it stands, Australia is one of just seven countries in the world with a blanket ban preventing all of its citizens from leaving the country without a specific travel exemption. Malaysia, Cambodia, Laos and Algeria also have outbound travel bans due to COVID-19, although Algeria's restrictions have so many exceptions that it's not really much of an issue. For example, simply having a visa to enter your destination country is a good enough reason to leave Algeria without further questions being asked. The other countries with outbound travel bans are North Korea and Syria, although those countries already banned people from leaving before the pandemic because their outbound travel restrictions have nothing to do with COVID-19. The taxi industry has come under fire over the excessive surcharges added for fair payments made by debit or credit card. In most Australian industries, it's illegal for businesses to add a credit card surcharge which is above the actual cost to the business of accepting card payments. But the taxi industry is exempt from the Reserve Bank of Australia's ban on excessive card fees since it is instead regulated by individual states and territories. And all state and territory governments except for Victoria allow taxi drivers to charge credit card fees of up to 5%. Pretty much every taxi company um, passes on whatever they can get away with legally, which is the 5% charge. In Victoria, the maximum cap on credit card surcharges was recently reduced to 4% following a review by the state's Essential Services Commission, which concluded that, and I'll quote, the current 5% maximum surcharge is above the reasonable cost of processing non-cash payments in almost all cases, end quote. Last week, Australian Frequent Flyer contacted each of the other state regulators to ask how they justified allowing a 5% credit card surcharge when it would be illegal for pretty much every other business in Australia. Most of the regulators never got back to us, and one state regulator wasn't even sure who's responsible for that policy area. But the two that did get back to us basically just said that they thought it was reasonable because that's what all the other states are doing. Hmm. Meanwhile, Rex Airlines last week took out full-page advertisements in several metro newspapers across Australia, accusing Qantas of denying refunds to its customers. The ads were full of complaints made on Qantas's social media pages, particularly its Facebook page, and Rex supplemented the ads with a 73-page document full of even more Qantas complaints posted to its social media pages. Now, the irony is, Rex actively deletes all the complaints that it gets on its own Facebook pages. And I'm sure there are plenty of Rex customers out there who've also had various issues with getting refunds or other complaints about Rex, but their complaints are silenced on Rex's social media pages. When asked about this hypocrisy by a columnist at the Australian Financial Review, Rex responded with a statement saying it makes no apologies for restricting public access to comments deemed abusive, vulgar, racist, biased or unreasonable, which, to be honest, is probably how you describe most of the comments from Qantas's Facebook page, which, which Rex has chosen to publish and distribute to the media. Meanwhile, Rex has had to delay the launch of its new Melbourne to Canberra 737 service this week for a second time, Due to the impact of the recent lockdown in Melbourne, that route's now due to commence on the 24th of June. And just a few months after Rex has launched flights to Canberra, Jetstar is now getting on the action with flights to the capital city. Jetstar announced on Thursday that it will fly five times a week from Brisbane to Canberra from the 2nd of September. Launch fares were on sale for $75 one way, which is considerably lower than the Qantas and Virgin fares we've normally seen on that route. Qantas Business Rewards has been sending out targeted offers of either double status credits or 1,000 bonus Qantas points per flight booked over the next three months for travel until December. So if you're a Qantas Business Rewards member, you might want to check your inbox. 
Emirates and Alaska Airlines are ending their partnership on the 31st of July. From this date, it will no longer be possible to earn or redeem Alaska Airlines mileage plan miles for Emirates flights, and vice versa. We're now expecting Alaska Airlines, which recently joined the One World Alliance, to open up more redemption options across the One World network from August. Amex Platinum Charge Card holders will lose their Australian Financial Review digital subscription benefit at the end of this month, and it's being replaced by a subscription to The Australian, a National News Corp newspaper owned by Rupert Murdoch. While some will see this for a like-for-like replacement, the cost of a subscription to The Australian is $208 a year less, and in addition, MediaBiasFactCheck.com rates The Australian's factual reporting as mixed compared to The Australian Financial Review, which is rated as high for factual reporting, and The Australian is also rated by that website as more politically biased. And United Airlines has announced that it plans to order 15 supersonic boom overture planes, which could be delivered as early as 2029. Capable of flying from New York to London in just three and a half hours, or San Francisco to Tokyo in about six hours, the boom aircraft will fly at a cruising altitude of 60,000 feet and a speed of Mach 1.7, making it the first supersonic airliner to enter commercial passenger service since the demise of the Concorde program, if of course the boom project is successful. Although it's unlikely we will see the boom flying to Australia anytime soon, because this aircraft doesn't actually have the range to fly non-stop from the US mainland to Australia. The aircraft will have enough seats for about 88 passengers. And finally, just a quick uh, correction from last week's episode, where I said that Velocity members could earn one Velocity point per $1 spent in-store at 7-Eleven. It's actually two Velocity points per dollar on in-store purchases. Sorry about that mistake. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. If you've been enjoying this podcast, you may be interested to know that I also host eight webinars per year for AFF's sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions. Each interactive hour-long online webinar covers a timely topic of interest to frequent flyers and anyone in Australia looking to travel better for less. The next webinar will be held at 8pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday the 16th of June 2021, and the topic will be Understanding Australian Credit Card Rewards Programs. If you'd like to attend any Frequent Flyer Solutions webinar, you will need to register in advance. For more information, visit frequentflyer.com.au. On episode 54 of this podcast, travel agent Alan Lamb from Netwave Travel joined me to talk about the challenge of flying back to Australia during the pandemic without getting bumped off your flight. And clearly this was a timely issue that resonated with a lot of people as this ended up being our most downloaded episode of the year so far. Unfortunately, now being June 2021, Australia still has restrictive arrival caps in place, which are making it difficult for people to get home, and there are still restrictions also on leaving Australia. So to give an update on everything you need to know about flying to and from Australia at the moment, Alan joins me once again. Welcome to the podcast, or welcome back. Hi, Matt. So uh, let's do this in two parts. We're going to start by talking about flying to Australia, and then we'll have a quick break and talk about leaving Australia. But um, to start off with, for people that are currently overseas and looking to come back to Australia, what's going on at the moment with airline schedules? The airlines at the moment have uh, finally firmed up 
the schedules for the uh, until about the end of August at this point. Uh, but some airlines are starting to firm up uh, September and even October now, uh, which is the end of the northern summer scheduling season. So we're starting to see some clarity of at least for the next uh, four months in terms of what uh, flights will actually operate uh, and what won't. And so you know, it gives a better idea of what's available to book for uh, people wanting to return to Australia. Yeah, so would you say that it's a good idea to book at the last minute or to book a bit further in advance? Or how far out do you think people should be booking if they're thinking about coming back to Australia at the moment? I'm currently finding that the sweet spot is about two and a half to three months out before the departure date. Uh, That's a good time in knowing where we stand in terms of airline schedules uh, and uh, availability is still good uh, about two, three months out. At the moment, uh, as of right now, the rest of June is quite tight for availability. July is quite tight as well. Uh, August is a, lo- uh, is a little bit better, but uh, starting to become a bit sl- uh, slimmer in pickings. Uh, September is still pretty good, and same with October. Yeah, so at the moment, it looks like um, many airlines have released their schedules that are likely to operate up until the end of October, up until the end of the IR to northern summer season. But what about after October? Unfortunately, uh, beyond the northern summer season at the moment, we still have a lot of uh, pre-COVID schedules loaded or even the schedule that's a little reduced from the uh, typical pre-COVID schedule. Um, But unfortunately, there's very little clarity about um, flights beyond uh, the end of October at the moment. So, you know, if you are booking anything beyond the end of October, really, it's very much a guessing game at the moment. Uh, It's very possible that we will see some of these flights get cancelled. And, you know, even though we have some idea based on the northern summer season, it's possible that the flights that did operate in northern summer may not actually operate in northern winter and they may decide to change the schedule entirely. Yes, and I've got actually quite a few questions in the last few weeks and months from people that are looking now to book travel um, to Europe or North America over, for example, over Christmas or even over June, July 2022, and they're looking to book now. Do you think there's any point in booking now? If you're looking to uh, use points for redemption at the moment, then there's really not much uh, reason not to because, you know, at the moment we've, we've got quite flexible airline policies when it comes to changes and refunds. Um, and besides the cancel and refund, fees are generally pretty cheap for uh, redemption bookings anyway. But if you're looking to do a commercial booking where you're actually paying for the ticket, then I would probably hold off at this point because even though there's current flexibility waivers and policies in place from various airlines, uh, these policies don't fully extend into 2022 yet at the moment. Um, although my expectation is they probably will. Um, but until you know that actual extension happens, we don't know what the airlines are thinking in terms of you know, whether they will extend that flexibility. And so you may, may therefore find yourself in a situation where your ticket may be non-refundable or you've got a very large cancellation penalty. Yeah, that could be $400, $500 in some cases, which you'll have to pay if you need to end up cancelling and they, with it, uh, in the event that they don't extend the waivers. One of the issues for people coming back to Australia at the moment is um, working out which type of fare to book. It's relatively common knowledge that the more expensive fare you have, the more likely it is that you're not going to be bumped from the flight. So some people have been booking full price business class or premium economy, even some first class tickets to try and minimise the risk of getting bumped. Do we know what fare classes people have actually been successful getting back to Australia on? And are people actually getting back in economy class? Uh, yes, certainly. We have a lot of passengers that are making it into Australia on econ- uh, in economy, premium economy and business as well. And you know, some airlines who are offering first class, obviously there's first class as well, but very limited seats on those. But yeah, quite a number of people are making it back in economy. Uh, but there's also a very large number in business as well. To get back in economy, do you need to book the full Y-class fare or a flex fare, or can you get back even on one of the cheaper economy tickets? To get back into Australia reliably, uh, you ideally need to be booking a full fare economy ticket in uh, Y-class, and Y-class is the only class that's in full fare economy. But that is the most ideal situation to be in to minimise your chances of being bumped. However, there are instances, particularly in the last maybe two or three months, where people have 
being able to get in um, booked in lower classes. And I believe you also have some data for uh, which fare classes people uh, have been successful in coming back to Australia in flying with Qatar Airways. Yes, I have been monitoring the uh, situation with Qatar Airways, notably because Qatar Airways has had quite a reputation for bumping passengers in the past 12 months. I can say that for each of the cities, so Sydney, uh, Sydney, I'm generally finding that uh, if you are booked in, in Y-Class, uh, you will uh, almost always make it in. Uh, there have been some cases where uh, people haven't made it in, in Y-Class. Uh, due to like temporary reductions in caps, etc. Uh, otherwise, um, if you're booked in B class, which is the next class down from Y class, you have uh, some chance of making it. Although on some days, I find that they don't seem to be taking anyone in uh, B class or lower uh, for Sydney. Melbourne is a very similar situation. Uh, again, Y class, you're pretty likely to make it in. B class, on some days, you might make it in if it's a bit quieter and there's less people booked in Y class. Otherwise, the lower classes tend to not have much chance. Which brings me to Adelaide and Brisbane. Uh, so Brisbane, because uh, Qatar only operates uh, three to four times per week, and per flight, they take a lot more passengers. In fact, I've seen on some flights into uh, Brisbane, they take something like 100 passengers uh, in on the one flight. Obviously, there's more passengers on these flights because that flight also continues to Auckland, but for the number of people terminating in Brisbane seems to hover around 100. People in Y-Class, uh, pretty much, um, I don't think I've seen the case where uh, people haven't gone into Brisbane on Y-Class. B-Class uh, stands a, a pretty good chance as well. Same with H-Class, which is the third class down. And even on some days, uh, some people in uh, K-Class will make it in, which is the fourth class down from the top. Adelaide, uh, Y-Class, you'll uh, virtually always make it in. B-Class, you're stand a very high chance h class as well you stand a pretty high chance k class is a bit of a mixed bag being the fourth class down yeah some days they do take a fair few k class passengers but on other days they don't perth at the moment is a bit of a struggle because of the fact that that wa reduced their arrivals cap in half to five i think it's 512 per week so at the moment y class can will generally get in but you know, b and h and, and lower classes are a bit of a struggle for perth Okay, and I guess um, business class is okay as well. Business class has largely been fine. Um, I have seen some isolated instances of Qatar bumping passengers in business class as well, but I haven't been able to determine whether there's a particular pattern or reason for it. Yeah, that's really interesting. So as you say, if you're flying into um, Adelaide or Brisbane in particular, you have a reasonable chance of getting in on a YB or possibly even a H or a K fare. If you're flying, for example, from London to Australia, how much roughly would you be looking at spending on, uh, say, with Qatar Airways in those classes? Uh, so for London to uh, Adelaide, as an example, uh, Y class is uh, $4,806 in Australian dollars. Uh, B class is much lower at uh, 2,418 Australian dollars and H class is 2,116 Australian dollars uh, and K class is 1,877 Australian dollars. And these, you know, these fares may go up and down because um, I'm an Australian agent, so these are priced in Australian dollars, but due to the exchange rate, you know, these may go up or down depending on the prevailing exchange rate. And um, the airline may also make changes to the fare. Sure. And I guess that's one way per passenger. Correct. That's one way. Okay, so those are those um, sort of top economy fare classes. But if you just buy sort of a mid-tier economy fare, do you think there's much chance of actually being successful in getting back to Australia on that? Uh, I have seen some very, very isolated incidents of um, some passengers making making it back to Australia on some really low fare classes. But uh, I have a feeling they may have yeah, they may have been special cases or some other considerations involved uh, with those you know, defect intervention and so forth. Um, possibly so other than that for anyone else in the public i I really wouldn't expect you to be able to make it into australia on qatar sorry on qatar airways um on anything lower than k class that's really good to know so it's definitely something that's worth checking when booking your ticket Uh, and i believe you also have some numbers for singapore airlines which is another one of the most um, common airlines for people coming back into australia 
Yes, for Singapore Airlines, uh, generally I'm finding you, you really ideally need to be in full fare Y class again. However, occasionally some passengers do make it in, in B class and E class, particularly into Adelaide, uh, where I tend to see a lot more B and E classes making it into Adelaide on Singapore Airlines. So those form the top three classes at Singapore Airlines, Y, B and E in that order. That's interesting. And it just goes to show that maybe booking to Adelaide is going to give you a higher chance of coming into Australia than booking to Sydney or Melbourne or Perth or somewhere like that as well. Yes, I find that uh, Adelaide definitely is uh, also easier to get availability into. I think a lot of people don't realise or remember that there's uh, international flights into Adelaide. And so uh, that that can be a bit of a advantage uh, if you live in Adelaide or if you happen to not mind quarantining in uh, Adelaide. You know, it's a lovely, lovely city. Yeah, and I think some of the hotels in Adelaide even have balconies. Yes, uh, Adelaide definitely has a nicer selection of hotels and a bit more of a chance of an opening window or a, or a balcony. And from all accounts, it, it seems that the quarantine setup in Adelaide is run quite well, uh, well, barring the outbreak recently. Notwithstanding that, yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's coming back on a paid fare. Um, two episodes ago, I had a lady on who uh, told me about how she was able to successfully come back to Australia using frequent flyer points. And uh, for anyone who hasn't listened to that episode, that was on episode 60. So I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. But she had success, but it was uh, it was very difficult. And she booked a lot of backup tickets and a lot of those tickets did end up getting cancelled. So it's not something that we'd necessarily recommend. But you have seen, I believe, some success with people coming back on any time awards? Yes. So um, in particular, the US airlines, uh, so United, Delta and American Airlines have the Saver Awards, which is the much cheaper um, type of redemption ticket, which you know, obviously costs a lot less in points and miles. But uh, they do have these things called any time awards, uh, which book into generally the full fare class of uh, the respective cabin. So for example, on um, on United in business class, it would book into J class for uh, economy you'd book into Y class and so forth. Uh, so if there is an available seat for sale on these flights in a full fare business or full fare economy uh, class, then you can generally book it using points and miles as well. Uh, unfortunately, the rate is quite expensive. You know, I've seen in some cases it can be $200,000, uh, sorry, not 200, sorry, 200,000 miles one way. Hope not. <laughs> and so uh, yeah, the, these these can be a quite viable means to get in as well if you if you happen to be uh, very points or miles rich with these airlines and you know, could potentially save you a lot of money, particularly in business. Yeah, and this mainly works with the US airlines, right? Correct, yes. Uh, I, I probably wouldn't advocate trying this uh, coming from, say, Europe or Asia. And the Asian carriers and the Middle East carriers don't tend to quite offer that same value um, and reliability in that respect, uh, whereas the, the three US airlines seem to be able to offer that uh, without too much drama from the US. And I believe also you've had a few of your clients who have um, uh, not necessarily tried to come to Australia using points, but um, flown sort of halfway to Australia on points and then paid for a ticket the rest of the way to try and save a bit of money. Uh, yes, I've had some a couple, a couple of clients uh, asking me about the options like, you know, using points to get to something closer. So, for example, Asia uh, and then using a paid ticket to get into Australia because I've had difficulties to get into Australia using points or miles. Um that really only works if you've got, say, dual citizenship. Uh, for example, you know, a good example if you're coming from the UK is if you happen to be a Singaporean national as well as an Australian national, then you, know, you could very well enter Singapore uh, coming from the UK, you know, spend some time in Singapore and then continue to Australia. Uh, and using points from London to Singapore is not too difficult at the moment. Uh, so, you, you know, you could do that, spend some time in Singapore um, and then come back to Australia from there. But uh, for those who don't have uh, dual citizenship or are unable to enter you know, um, ports in between uh, two 
say UK and Australia, then yeah, unfortunately that's not an option or not a viable option anyway, because uh, a lot of airlines and airports also require that you um, are on a single ticket the whole way, and so you can't be booking separate tickets. For example, one points ticket, one uh, cash ticket. And also, so those are those are some of the commercial options, but the Australian government has also um, chartered a few Qantas DFAT repatriation flights. I think these are mostly going into Darwin, but maybe you could just talk about where these are coming from and uh, how, how exactly do these repatriation flights work? The best thing I can recommend to everyone is, and you know, whether you are stranded or not, is to register with DFAT. Um, it just gives DFAT and the Australian government a better idea of how many people are actually looking to return to Australia. And uh, you know, obviously, without that kind of data, it's very difficult for the Australian government to determine where to send these DFAT flights. Um, so, you know, it definitely helps to, if everyone is able to do that. Um, in terms of DFAT flights, we've had, you know, quite a number from India, particularly lately. Um, the UK uh, had quite a few in May. Vancouver's had the odd one or two. LA's had odd one or two. Um, Istanbul, I think they ran, ran one recently, and there's been a couple from Johannesburg as well. Earlier on, there was some from South America as well, but I don't think I've seen one for South America for a little while now. These flights are scheduled by the Australian government uh, to bring back Australians and anyone else who holds a valid visa to enter Australia. So you don't have to be an Australian citizen. You can be a permanent resident uh, or you could even be a temporary resident or even someone entering for the first time into Australia if you've got the appropriate travel exemption. Uh, so it's certainly not restricted to Australian uh, citizens. And so to find out that one of these flights is running, you need to register with DFAT, do you? And then they'll contact you? Correct. They definitely need to register with DFAT in terms of being notified of these, although uh, it's also worth paying attention to some of the High Commission and Embassy websites and uh, Facebook pages, in particular the Facebook pages, because um, these flights tend to be announced in there as well. Yeah, and how much notice are they giving when they announce one of these flights before it actually takes off? Uh, these flights tend to, uh, I've seen anything from about three weeks to about six weeks. Um, it's really not a lot of notice, particularly for people in Europe, where you, you know, might have two months notice on a rental property or two months or three months for a job. Uh, so they're really only, I think they're really only useful for those who are coming back um, at short notice and, you know, they, you're living with relatives or living with family and you know, that sort of situation where you're not so tied up in terms of um, notice periods. And do you know how much it costs for a seat on one of the DFAT repatriation flights? Yeah, these fees vary. Uh, I don't, uh, I only really have figures for uh, coming from London. I know they're about 2100 also Australian dollars. Um, okay. which economy. is. Yes, for economy. Uh, it, is, it is a little bit cheaper than the commercial options in uh, full fare Y class, um, although the downside of these DFAT flights is um, the vast majority of them do go to Darwin, and unfortunately Darwin charges uh, per person for quarantine. So if, if it's just you travelling, then it actually, uh, actually works out well because uh, the quarantine fees in Darwin is only 2500 for one person. However, if you uh, are travelling as a party of two or more, then you actually charge per person and there's no discount for you know, two or more people. So for two people, it's 2500 each and therefore 5000 uh, which is actually about $1,000 more than, say, Sydney, for example, for quarantine. Uh, and on top of that, Darwin being quite remote, uh, you also have to pay for, pay for your own separate domestic fare to get from uh, Darwin to uh, whatever your final destination city is. And that could be anywhere, you know, from 200 to $400 um, per person. And so, you know, when you add up these total figures, uh, it, it can be more expensive than flying commercially into some of the other cities. Yeah, that's a good consideration. But like we talked about before, also um, with Adelaide having a few sort of nicer options with a bit of fresh air in their hotels, in their hotel quarantine, um, Howard Springs has been quite a popular facility um, for quarantine because, you know, people do get their own sort of cabins with balconies and fresh air. And it seems to be a bit of a nicer all-round experience in quarantine when you get to Australia. 
Yes, uh, Dar- uh, I think that in Darwin, with how it springs, you know, obviously you get a lot more access to fresh air, and you've got your own balcony, etc. And that's you know that's obviously very nice. Uh, but yeah, Adelaide may be a potential potentially good compromise as well in terms of cost versus uh, what you get. Yeah, good to know. And so if like we talked about before, if you're looking to book a commercial fare, you need to be really careful about the fare class that you're booking. Um, also careful about which airline you're booking and be across all of the different um, rules for transiting different countries and things like that. So it is uh, probably a good idea to use a travel agent if you are coming back into Australia. But I, I know that um, a lot of people have uh, had sort of mixed experience with travel agents um, and I, I know that you've uh, come across a few sort of scams or issues that people have um, have come across when trying to come back. Uh, would you like to run through what some of the things are that people should be looking for? Uh, the first one, the first one I've seen that seems to be a common scam is um, particularly if you're a member of some of those uh, stranded Aussies Facebook groups. Is um, there's a lot of agents that will cold message you um, directly. You know, they they'll advertise their services to you, etc., and try and get uh, try and get you to book with them. Um, yeah, a lot of these agencies, uh, particularly the ones that are messaging uh, cold messaging you, uh, agents say, yeah, you know, whilst they may, might be registered in the UK or whichever country they say they're in, yeah, you know, uh, the staff are actually located elsewhere in the world. Um, I've seen a few, for example, who. Uh, UK registered businesses and companies and so forth. However, the the actual agents are actually in Sri Lanka, for example. There's ways to check whether they you know, do truly exist where they are. You know, you can look at uh, their business registrations online, uh, check their agency numbers against the IATA website. Uh, the IATA does actually have a tool where you can check the agency numbers. Just you know, do your general research in terms of where their where their locations are. If you if you hear they've got a bit of an accent, like if if they say they're in the UK and they don't have a, a British accent uh, or even anything that remotely resembles a British accent, then you know that might uh, definitely be a red flag. Another scam I've seen is uh, agents that they'll book a return ticket for you, but they don't tell you that they're actually booking a return ticket. Uh, and so, you know, a common one I've seen is that they might do say London to Sydney and then book your return from say Bangkok to London. What, without you asking for a return flight? Yes, that's correct. Why would they do that? Um, it's really in the agent's favour because um, they're, they're basically gambling for the return portion of the ticket to get cancelled. So they deliberately pick routes or countries where you know, flights tend to get cancelled uh, or you know, ones that are reasonably priced like Bangkok. And so therefore, you know, when the flight cancellation happens, you, know, you, will re- you will have returned to Australia ages and ages ago already by the time the cancellation happens. And then they will, they'll you know, quietly file that ticket for refund from the airline and you know that could be a couple hundred dollars could be a thousand dollars um and they yeah they basically keep the uh keep the refund and they don't even tell you wait so you're telling me that there are travel agents out there who are charging their customers for a return ticket and then pocketing the refund when the return flight gets cancelled by the airline correct yes that's dodgy (laughs) very dodgy indeed Another scam that we've seen is uh, uh, marking up of ticket prices. Uh, so, you know, I gave, some, I gave some examples earlier in this podcast about um, for Qatar Airways for Y, B, H and K classes, uh, just to, you know, so that listeners can uh, get an idea of what the actual ticket costs. Uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of agents out there who are marking up ticket prices by, you know, $200, $300. I've seen as much as $600 Australian dollars for a one-way ticket. And so, you know, these markups can be quite expensive. In uh, There is a guide uh, that I've also written as well on Australian Frequent Flyer um, for travelling to Australia during COVID-19. This guide will have some uh, pricing listed as well for the various uh, common airlines that uh, people are using to get to Australia. So yeah, you can definitely uh, compare what you uh, what you paid or what you're being asked to pay against what yeah, the prices, uh, pricing should be. So I'm hoping that, you know, that gives some clarity to um you know, the listeners of this podcast as to what you should be expected to pay. Uh, some agents are charging a 
what they'll do is they'll mark up the ticket price by a little bit, so maybe $200 or something like that, but then they will then charge you a smaller booking fee, $50, $100 maybe, just to make your booking, make their looking fee, uh, sorry, their booking fee look more reasonable. But, you know, this is something that is really just, is, is just really hiding, you know, what their uh, actual booking fee is and it's really a fudging of the figures. So, you know, um, agents that are doing that are not being truthfully um, honest with you in terms of what their fees and charges are being. You can quite easily check that as well. Uh, some, uh, some airlines, in fact, most airlines these days, if you go on the managed booking function on the airline website uh, and you know, put in your booking reference and your name, uh, it'll bring up obviously bring up your booking. And most of these uh, websites now have a function that says like print e-ticket or download e-ticket or something like that. If you use that function, generally you can see your ticket and often at the bottom of the ticket, uh, it will have the cost of the ticket. So if you haven't yet booked a ticket and uh, you're looking for a travel agent, what kind of things should you be looking out for? And what, what kind of fees do you think are sort of normal, sort of a range of fees for travel agents to charge with the, for assistance with coming back to Australia at the moment? Uh, the best thing to look out for is um, agents that get, you know, get a lot of uh, mentions, particularly for repatriation travel, at least in the last 12 months. Um, whilst an agent may have very good reviews for uh, past performance you know, pre-COVID, that's re- really not relevant at the moment with uh, all the restrictions and rules and you know ever got, uh, ever on ongoing changes with the restrictions as well uh, so you know focus on reviews and testimonials from the last 12 months in particular look for uh, look for agents that have uh, public testimonials on uh, websites that uh, aren't their own um yes. yeah uh, as far as agent fees look I, i've seen I, i've seen anything from 200 200 australian dollars to uh, you know 400 australian dollars per uh, per passenger but some agents do charge less uh, if you're a larger group for example like a family so that definitely is worth asking around to you know see what uh, different agents are charging some will charge more some will charge less um some agents are better than others you know in terms of what uh, what kind of services they'll offer you so it's worth shopping around to you know see what see what you actually get for your money's worth yeah, well, really interesting. Thanks very much, Alan. We're going to go to a quick break now. And when we come back, we're going to talk about um, what you need to know about leaving Australia, traveling outbound. Back in a moment. That's just about all for this episode of AFF On Air. I hope you found that interview interesting and useful. Don't forget that you can hear part two of my interview with Alan when we talk about outbound travel from Australia on the next episode in two weeks' time. That'll be episode 63 of this podcast. Just a reminder that you can find Alan's contact information as well as a link to the Travelling to Australia During COVID-19 guide in the episode notes and in the article for this podcast episode. So if you're listening on a podcast app, for example, just open up the episode notes and you'll find all the relevant links and info there. Otherwise, go to australianfrequentflyer.com.au and have a look on the homepage in the podcast section and click on the article for this episode, episode number 62. There's also a link in the episode notes to a discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum about travelling to Australia during COVID-19. And if you have a question for Alan which hasn't already been answered during this podcast, feel free to ask on there. Alan is Mad Rooster on the forum and um, he's been pretty good with answering questions on that thread. And if you have a question, not about that, but about frequent flyer points or something else which you'd like me to talk about on a future episode of this podcast, you're also very welcome to ask on the AFF On Air discussion thread, which is also linked in the episode notes. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, I would really appreciate if you take just a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting platform that you happen to be listening And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released each fortnight. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Until then, safe travels. Listener.